In this bonus episode, I sit down with Natalie Trice, the senior PR director at Fox Agency, just one of the most hardworking and conscientious people I've ever met. She's written three books. One was about hip dysplasia, a condition that her son developed to help other parents like her understand the challenges of living with the condition. She's helped launch James Cameron films, uh, launched Tom and Jerry in Red Square in Russia. Uh, she's lived in Japan, just a tremendous track record and CV, a uh, 25-year career in PR at places like Cartoon Network, CNN, Discovery Channel. She's one of those people also that just makes you question how hard you work. You know, I had to look at myself in the mirror after the interview and, and say, you know, Nathan, I could actually be working a little bit harder. Um, tremendous work ethic, uh, fascinating story and expert on all things PR. If you are interested in anything to do with what I've just said, then you are going to absolutely love this conversation. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Natalie Trice. Natalie Trice is the senior PR director at Fox Agency. She is also an author, award-winning coach, charity founder, and she's worked with some of the most iconic brands of the last few years including Cartoon Network, CNN, Discovery Channel, Epson, and Animal Planet, just to name a few. She has helped to launch Tom and Jerry on Red Square and helped premiere James Cameron films. She is also a frequent contributor to publications like the Health and Wellbeing and Natural Health publications. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Natalie Trice, welcome to Agency Deal Masters. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. You've got such an impressive CV and background, um, really varied and exciting. You've written three books. You've run your own consultancy for the 13 years. You've worked with some of the biggest media brands in the world, lived in Japan, premiered James Cameron films, as we said. You've launched Tom and Jerry in Red Square, which I need to hear about in Russia. You're also a qualified coach and mentor. When people look at your CV, do they struggle to place you? Oh, that's a great question. I suppose because I have worked, so I, I've worked within the PR industry for the past 25 years. And one of the very first things, so I worked, as you said, I now work for Fox Agency, which, um, and we specialize in tech. So that's the world that I started in at the beginning of my PR career. Um, and I suppose when you have had a quarter of century career, which sounds like a really long time when I say it that way. Um, I didn't want to be pigeonholed from the beginning. So I did want to make sure that I had that kind of breadth of experience, both with agencies in-house. Um, I diversified quite a lot. Um, and also I do have two sons who are teenagers. So I think that as I've kind of moved along with my career and my life and the journey that it's taken me on, Maybe things didn't go as planned, but I think as we've seen in the past two years, whatever the plans are, they don't always quite work out. <laughs> um, so placing me, I'm not sure. I think it's how you condense it into that traditional two pages is probably more of the challenge. Um, and I think at one point there may have been a kind of idea that someone was was jack of all trades, master of none. But what I've always maintained is that the foundation is is PR, is the world of PR. Um, and that is something that I still love after all of this time. So you, you could pretty much tell me any, any story, any 
company, any brands, and I could come up with a, a PR concept or idea that would work. Um, and I suppose it's how you present yourself in certain situations as to how that experience will spark joy in someone or light someone up or interest them in what you do and who you are. So, yeah, it's a yeah, it, it's an interesting question. I'll come back to that challenge a bit later on okay. of presenting you with any brand or any idea oh, and coming okay. up with a, a PR okay. angle. That mm-hmm. sounds like an interesting game to play. Um, you, you've you helped all sorts of brands get just tremendous coverage over the years. What, what have you learned over the years about what it takes to make really great PR campaigns? I think one of the things it takes is an element of, of realism because you will be juggling multiple deadlines, multiple stakeholders. You have clients, you have your boss, you have um, the press. But what you've got to know is that the story that you have fits with that particular audience. And then how are you going to make it a reality? And then juggling the expectations of all those different stakeholders and making it come alive. Um, So as you said, I have pretty much worked on everything from uh printers and saving turtles at sea to tom and jerry to cnn to charities back to tech betty crocker everything in between (laughs) one of the main successes i really think is relationships Mm. so that's the relationships that you have with your team it's the way that you build the relationships with your clients but also in pr it's the way that you build and maintain relationships with journalists because they are becoming increasingly stretched. Um, The media landscape has obviously changed a huge amount since I first started in PR 25 years ago. And I still, you know, I I will still have contacts that I have taken and I've kind of made along the way. Um, Some of them have left altogether. Some have gone into, a lot of them into freelancing. And I'm not saying that PR is just on the success of your contacts, because we're always working on new projects and new things. But I think it is being resilient with journalists as well as realistic as as you can about what a particular campaign can deliver and having the end result in mind. So if you have a client who maybe is, as, as I probably did at one point in the very distant past, launching a, a campaign about a printer that has one extra pixel or an extra button and their expectation mm. is they're going to be in every single computing <laughs> magazine, that's a hard sell. Is that unrealistic? <laughs> we did it. <laughs> we, we did it. But again, we had good relationships at the time. Um, and I think it's that whole thing that while a client or anyone will think, well, this is great news. This, oh, this is amazing. Just because we feel like it is. You know, it's, it's like when your child gets their first tooth. It's an amazing thing for the parent. But does the whole of Facebook really need to know about that one tooth nah and I, and I think it's a similar we don't care we do but you we do but it's um not as, it, well not as much as the parent does no anyway. exactly so it there's a whole there's a whole layer of um there's multiple layers when it comes to PR and what makes a successful campaign great planning great contacts good execution the way that you integrate it with other parts of your comms plan Having great people working on the team is always going to be good dedication and and that great word resilience, because sometimes we think what is going to be an easy sell actually turns out to be incredibly difficult. Or what happens a lot at the moment is the news agenda changes so fast 
is that you can have this great project and then Boris locks the country down or there's a new strain of COVID or a football player misbehaves. You know, there, there's so many things that can happen that can actually alter what you think is going to be pretty easy. So while you can get wins quite easily, I often say, you know, I was talking to one of the team the other day at Fox and saying sometimes it's the harder things that place that actually give you the most satisfaction because you get you kind of get that feeling of adrenaline that maybe it's not going to be picked up or the people you thought would be dead certs or else on holiday. And so you have to work that little bit harder and dig a bit deeper to get the results. And those are almost like they're, they're the kind of icing on the cake because you've done everything else and something that felt so difficult actually comes to fruition. So so what's changed in PR in the last 20 years, aside from the obvious media landscape that you've just mentioned um, and the f- fl- splintering of, of media, which is just like everywhere now, but a lot of what I'm, I'm hearing you saying are, are real fundamentals, you know, great relationships. It's still about planning. It's still about strategic thinking. There's still a lot of uh, sort of great fundamentals that do, I guess don't change over time. Yeah. Give us an idea of how the media landscape has changed for PR over the last sort of 20 years. And then also give us an idea of sort of, you know, how you've had to adapt and change to make your clients work even more impactful in light of all of that disruption? Mm, okay, so I think there's there's various things. One is is the fact that now your coverage or your results can be pretty much immediate. So with the internet, with multiple websites, with podcasts, with blogs and uh, social media, your story can be out there almost straight away. There's, there's platforms you can create your own stories. You can be your own media makers through your website, through your social media platforms, through your blog, which we didn't have when I first started. Um, it was simply a case. Um, and again, I was talking to one of the team the other day, and one of my first jobs was literally every Tuesday morning typing, you know, having a press release, a paper press release for a very old supermarket brand uh, and faxing that out every Tuesday morning to a list of women's weeklies, daily newspapers, and it was like prices of the week for a basket of shopping. So it was it was pretty basic. Hmm. Fax it out and then run back to your desk and phone the journalists and ask them, which they don't they don't like now, but we used to do it back then, did you get the press release? It's on your fax machine. <laughs> and the journalists would have to leave their desk and walk to the fax machine, wherever that might be in the publishing house, because no one really worked at home back then, to get the press release, to then type it out onto their computer and then put it into the magazine. But that wouldn't be instant. That would maybe be in the next week's issue or at that weekend. Mm. So that kind of instant gratification in a way is almost what people come to expect. So it's like ordering, I don't know, pizza or new pair of trainers that come the next day it's that instant hit and again I think that you have to manage expectations both internally but also with clients that yes that can happen we can do that but it doesn't always happen it's not assumed um so you do have that element of kind of management of expectations um so again the technology has changed we don't have fax machines anymore we rarely use a landline um, they were kind of fundamental. We have images that can be sent automatically via email. I can remember sending off um, photos via on a bike 
<laughs> at one point. So when I worked for Epson Hewlett Packard, we would bike images, but I even at times got in a cab or got in a tube to take images from Buckingham Palace Road to Canary Wharf. Amazing. So that the journalist had the photograph. I mean, you just wouldn't, we just wouldn't do that now. Sure. But what, what happens at the end of the day is you still get that piece of coverage. What we're doing is the same thing. We're still telling the story of a brand. We're still releasing news from a, a business or from a company for the public to consume. It just so happens that technology has moved so fast, we can do it in a very different, faster way. And the urgency is, is very different. So I suppose when you're dealing with um, crisis management, you have to move quickly. And because of the media and because of the way people can actually report in real time, just general public, um, that changes up the whole concept as well. So there's so many more factors out there. There's so many different influences now. People can get involved. Um, so that that has changed. And but you still, you know, you still have the thing like when we listen back to this and the agency, it's great because that's what the job is. Sure. You're hearing you're hearing the story from somebody else. It's that personal recommendation, which I always think is a great analogy for PR because it is public relations. But what's happening is that someone else is giving you their platform to tell your story. And when it comes to the clients that you're working with at Fox Agency, they're generally large B2B technology businesses. Yeah. Just give us an idea of what they're business objectives are when it comes to PR what are they trying to achieve and how you mentioned kind of expectation setting what are their expectations for the results that they expect to get once working with Fox and then how do you measure what you deliver the work that we do at Fox is is pretty specialist so it's as you said it's big tech companies um, and it's business to business PR so we're telling their story. We're talking about their products to other businesses. So we're not, um, you know, we're not working with the likes of Red Magazine or Good Housekeeping or, um, I don't know, You Magazine. We're, we're looking at the trade press a lot more. We're talking about what they're doing in their business to attract other businesses. So, for example, um, we work with Alcatel Lucent Enterprises. Um, they have great solutions for hybrid working. And ultimately, what they want to do with their PR is to tell other businesses that you can use our solutions like Rainbow to build better teams, to communicate better with your teams, to, to build a better infrastructure. Um, and so the emphasis is, is different in so much as it's not the consumer press, but it's still someone is going to potentially buy from them. They're wanting to let people know we're here. You can buy from us. This is what we do. So we're in the background, I guess, building relationships with those journalists, talking to those journalists about the clients, be that ALE, be that Sony um, and Total Energies, all of those clients. We're talking about them with the media and then the media will then take the story, take the news and write about it just just as you're talking to me today you, you you read about the work at fox you looked at things that i've done in the past and then you're retelling it and so we're given the job of reaching out across the world and that's the other great thing i suppose now with with the media landscape is that whilst we're based in the uk and we will have partners in france and germany 
we can work very much on a global scale. And that's always been one of the things that I've loved about PR. Um, So you have your press release or you have your pitch, you have that particular story and you have a budget. You know, the client will pay a retainer or they'll pay the money for a particular project. But where it differs from social media placements or with advertising is that you are not confined to that one particular or that that one or two particular outlets. You can tell the PR story far wider. Again, you don't want to get to the point where you are just, and we don't do this, and I've never, I've never done this or advocated doing it, but kind of sending out a press release to the entire world, hoping that somebody will pick it up and put it on their website or cover it in their newspaper. Um, so the approach for us is always particularly, it's tailored, it's bespoke, and we think, right, how do we match I suppose you think about it a little bit like dating. How do you match this story with the right publications? Why would they be interested? Um, why would their readers be interested? What's going to make it interesting? Where would it fit in the publication? And so you don't want to tell the journalist, I think this story should go there, which comes back to the relationship. Because if you've worked with the journalist before and you started building that and maybe they've placed a story, I've seen something just come in before I started this call with you and it was a story and the journalist I've worked with lots of times we saw the opportunity pitched to her because we knew that it would work for her title um you don't always have that success as I've said before sometimes you can think it's going to be a dead cert it's not but having that that kind of that kind of knowledge and understanding of where you can put it and where this puzzle works is is something that I really enjoy about the job. And then being able to impart that knowledge with the team and saying, right, this is what the client wants. This is the story. It could be a new hire. It could be a new product. It could be um, some new intelligence and data. How do we make that story relevant to who they're reaching? So they're reaching other businesses who are potentially interested in buying their product or working with them in some capacity. And then how do we sell or pitch that story to the press the right way. Mm, really interesting. So so when it comes to Fox Agency specifically and uh-huh. the clients that you have, uh-huh. what does success look like, especially in 2021 with the fragmented media landscape and everything else we talked <laughs> about? I mean, like at any agency, we have we set KPIs, we look at the client's budget, we look at their expectations, we look at where they want to be. Um, and I think that's really that's really important, and it's often something that I have asked clients. Also, having been, um, I've I've worked the other side, so I've been in house. I've been the client, as well as working with the clients. So I'm always interested. Although we're the experts, and we think, okay, this is where it wants to be. It'll surprise you sometimes what a client will come back to you with. Success for us is that we place those stories for the clients. Um, success for me is that we exceed expectations and that we also have a happy team because I think that especially over the past two years we have seen that people being happy at work people being satisfied people being supported is is really really important and it's certainly something that I didn't necessarily see at the beginning of my career Um, and I know that very long nights in 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 some places I worked and having to go home on the tube late and it was hot, you know, there's things that I've learned on my journey as a PR person. And I've thought at the time, right, I don't want ever 
my team to be feeling that way. So um, success is, is kind of twofold. You want to do a great job for the client, but you also want to have a happy team who function and work well, because then we can give more of ourselves to the client and produce even better results. So let's talk a little bit about resourcing the team and, and hiring. I know that you're building the uh, the PR uh, specialisms within the team at the moment. When recruiting, what have you learned over the years about uh, the process of identifying the best people, recruiting them, understanding what qualities they share, backgrounds that can complement kind of the existing team, but also kind of how you want to grow it? I think you have that initial... Again, that's changed, hasn't it? Because when we when I started, it was simply a paper, um, a paper CV. And actually, my first job, I think I just I'd literally got back from living in Tokyo, so my CV was pretty sparse, and I didn't necessarily blag it. But um, I had to you had to think quickly. I think that's something that you need in PR, um, and to have that vision, and that creativity. No. No, I think that it's, it, it, it's, it's always comes down to the fact, and this was, this was even the first job I had, how much do you want it? And I think, how much do you want that job at whatever stage of the career you're in? So I I graduated, I taught for a year, I'd lived in Tokyo for a year, and then I decided I need a job, I need cash, I need to pay my rent in London. Um, and I hadn't ever had this idea that I would go into PR, but the recruitment consultant sent me in. I wanted the job. And I went to the office. It was on Gloucester Road. It was a great office. I was like, I can see myself working here. <laughs> so they, they, they were those kind of things. I really wanted that job. And so I, at the point, if I can remember back that long, because it was a long time ago, you know, I was willing to work hard. I was willing to put in the hours. I had a genuine still now, love magazines, total media junkie. So I had those things within me. And I will often look at those with other people when I'm recruiting. I haven't recruited at Fox, but I have recruited a lot in the past, both employees, but also agencies. And it's like, how much, how much do you want this? I'll I'll look at, I had a conversation with one of my sons the other day who didn't get into the high, highest maths group. I'm like, well, how much do you, how much do you want this? Well, can you not ask the teacher? No, you decide how much you want to be in that, that top group. And then you work as hard as you think you need to, to get into that top group. And I think that is, you're always going to, to look at a CV. And there's one thing looking at what someone writes on paper or having a quick look at their social media and what you might find. But actually, when you're talking to them, how engaged are they with you? How much preparation have they done? How much do they know about the business? Do they know about the clients? Um, I was talking to a recruiter recently and she was she was talking about an entry level PR job and the person that got it in the end it came down to the fact that he was the only one out of the last five that um, named a publication that he enjoyed reading and would want to see a client in. Mm. And you think if you if you want to work in PR, I've, I've done mentoring. Um, like, how much do you want that job? Mm. And yeah, how much do you want to be part of that team? How much do you want to make a difference? So that for me is really, really important. How much do they fit with the team? Um, I think that, so at Fox, we have a six month probationary period. And so it's like, oh my, that's a long time. But actually, yeah, it does take, it takes time to kind of, for anyone to find their feet, find their place within the team, get used to their culture. 
and really start to to build their presence and make their mark and and work with that team. Um, so I guess that that works for everybody. Um, and how, when I say committed, I, I don't mean that you have to be at your desk at 6am and, and, you know, work until you go to sleep. But when you are working, how committed are you to doing the best job, looking for the opportunities? Because that's one of the things of PR, you're constantly looking for those opportunities. And I don't necessarily, and this comes down to the success we talked about already, it's not necessarily just what the client wants. And my first boss taught me that. Um, and it was a, it was some very techie client. I think it was to do with gas cables. The client expected a piece in gas today, for example. She was like, we can get them that, but what are we going to get that's going to wow them outside of that? So it, it's almost like you do the bread and butter of, of the work, but where's the, I'm going to say champagne, but that's really cliche for PR, isn't it? What What's, what's going to, What's going to make you different? Now, you can't always do that because the stories don't always run, but that's always the thing. What is that thing? What is that What is that element in someone that makes them just that bit more special? Is that they have huge passion for the media? Do they have great initiative? Do they always go the extra mile? Um, so there's, there, there's yeah, you, you, can, you can pick it up. Um, quite quickly with with people and at Fox we do we have a great team you know I'm really lucky to have come into an agency where we have such a, a great team both uh, not only just PR but across the agency um, we have some extremely talented people who all want to work as part of a team and again early on in my career I had experiences where the junior more junior people would do the work and the more senior people would take the credit i totally disagreed with that and you know if you do the work you take the credit but we come together as a team and there's going to be we'll all have different strengths everyone has something that they can bring to the table so let's play to those strengths and build people's confidence so then they can then get up to speed with everything else and that's very much the way that I work what do you enjoy what do you find easy but at the same time you need the foundations you need the resilience so we're going to have to do the hard bits as well and that makes for the best PR professional you're, you're going to be. You mentioned culture there. How would you describe the culture of Fox Agency? I really enjoy it. I mean, I've, I have been, I've been pleasantly surprised. Um, I have been out of kind of corporate life. So I had my own consultancy, um, which kind of came around because I, ha I had children one of my sons was born with a chronic condition. So therefore, corporate life, nine to five, when remote working wasn't a thing, simply wasn't going to work. Um, so coming back into employment was slightly daunting. And then sometimes when I, I'm waiting for someone to say this, this isn't quite real because it, it just works. So the team have been great. The company have been great. There's a huge, you know, they're, they, and I'm not just saying this because they will listen, but the kind of emphasis on staff well-being, making sure that people have the support that they need, the setup that they need to work at home. Um, for me, having worked in a lot of agencies in the past, it's not something, and you know, it has been a long time since I was in an agency, but pleasantly surprised actually how how well it works we do a lot of work on teams we do meet up but that works really really well 
I really, really enjoyed it. I'm two and a half months in and more than pleasantly surprised. You you mentioned that you were self-employed for 13 years and that you had to stop doing that to um, a number of reasons. Look after your son. Your son has hip dysplasia. You've written three books, You've, the first of which was about hip, hip dysplasia. Can you tell us a little bit about that book and the journey that you've that you've been on? Yeah, I have two sons. One's nearly 15 and then Lucas is, is 12. Um, so actually probably about 12 years ago, just about now, he was diagnosed with hip dysplasia. Um, and it kind of went from we were doing toddler classes in the park to hospitals and scans and x-rays with a tiny baby and, and my toddler in tow. Um, and I think automatically what I do in most situations is I look for the book. There was, there was no book. Um, so I was kind of thrown this on reflection, not, or, you know, it wasn't a life-threatening condition, but it certainly put a spanner in the works. And, and as, a, as a new mum, probably very hormonal at the time because he was very young when he was diagnosed, I felt like I was just kind of floundering. I didn't really identify with, with other mums so much anymore because they were dealing with teething and weaning whereas I had a baby in a full body cast being sure. broken ultimately you know multiple times um where was I going to get that support and the the same old adage oh well it's just a broken but you know it, it was very complex at the time and he kept on needing more surgery <laughs> I kept looking for the book um and in the end I wrote the book so I wrote cast life six seven years ago now and uh, I, I wrote it, finished it, sent it to my editor. And literally the next day we took Lucas for an annual appointment and they said oh, he was six. Oh, we're, we're going to have to break his pelvis now and uh, bolt it back together. So my initial thought was, oh, I'm going to have to go back and let my editor know that the happy ending to the book I'm going to change. <laughs> and then life kind of then went into a free fall of thinking, how do you deal with a six-year-old with a broken pelvis who can't, who can't walk, who can't go to school, who already had post-traumatic stress, um, as well as having an older son. Um, yeah, so that was, and I, and I then, at the same time, the book was launched two days before this massive, massive operation, which was, I think he was under for about nine hours. Um, and I set up DDH UK, which is a charitable trust. And we now support thousands of families around the world. Um, but I suppose even even actually, I think he was he was in hospital and one of the doctors had found the book and, and came and was like, oh, I, I think he'd seen it in a magazine or something. So I was always doing the PR. So I was PRing the book. I was talking about hip dysplasia in the news. I was working with organisations. And I knew that if if I use PR, I could maybe help make a difference and put this on the map because whilst it's it's kind of rare it's it's not really there are a lot of children also a lot of adults that have it so I would still be doing PR at, at most of the time so while I'd actually close my consultancy I still had PR running through my veins let's get into our, our favorite questions now I could be here all day asking you asking you questions about your your career uh, and the books that you've that you've written, we're going to have to get you back on the show because there's so much that we didn't get a chance 
to get to. But I can't let you go without asking our favorite question that we ask all of our guests. Uh, some nice, easy ones about who is the person behind the brand sort of questions. First one, tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. I failed my driving test three times. The <laughs> third time, I know, the third time I should have passed it, but I hadn't. I had a new license and I hadn't signed it. So when I got to the driving test centre, I didn't have anything else with me and they wouldn't let me take my driving test. So oh, I no. failed. <laughs> um, what that taught me was to always check that you've signed everything. Yeah. Yeah. And to always take your purse with you. That's it. That was a hard lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about some of your favorite books. You said that when there's a crisis, the first thing you do is search for a book. What what are some of your favorite books, fiction, nonfiction, whatever? Okay. My absolute favorite book, and anyone who's listening who knows me, is Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Mm. Um, I love self-development books. And I read this. I actually listened to it. I listened to a lot of books. So um, mm-hmm. I live by the sea in Devon, but my kids go to school on Dartmoor. So I have quite a kind of commute to get there. And on the way back, I listen to books. And this book was just literally life changing. Um, and and she's, a, she's an amazing woman. Um, great great story. I mean, she would be a great guest. I I really love her. But she was um, talking about the fact that so many times we disappoint ourselves because we don't want to disappoint other people. And that really resonated with me because I'm like, God, you say yes, because you don't want to disappoint them. But actually, you're constantly then disappointing yourself. And um, yeah, that that was a kind of real light bulb moment for me. Yeah, I I stopped doing a lot of I still have it. I have it written up on my board as I'm sitting doing my work. Um, and she just re- she just released the journal this last week. So the journal kind of goes with the book. Um, so, yeah. Other books when I was a kid, The Railway Children. I loved that book. I think I've okay. still got a copy of it somewhere. Yeah. I really, I really loved that book. Um, and, yeah, I just read. I read when I was a kid, I read a lot of Judy Bloom, um, and just Fantastic. will read and read and yeah, read a lot more. Love it. Absolutely love it. What, ad- what advice would you give to a young person or millennial who wants to start their career in PR? Read the press. Mm. Read the press. It doesn't matter whether you want to go into B2B, B2C, tech, um, lifestyle, travel, but consume the media you know go on twitter look at what journalists are talking about look at what makes a story be interested um be realistic it's not i mean as you said i've i've done parties on red square i've launched films on in amsterdam i've done all kinds of things and there might be a little bit of glamour but it's really not kind of the ab fab world that we were (laughs) Sure, there are some dances and kitchens at certain points, but it's right. um and I always say it, it it's PR, it's not ER, but it's hard work. It's not all <laughs> passes, especially yeah. especially at the moment. Um and and just think about why. What do you what do you want to get out of it? I mean, I still love seeing coverage. I love that for me, I still love I love that, but also I love being a I love the fact that at Fox I can impart my knowledge in the next generation of PR professionals. And that kind of is 
is one of the things that I'm very passionate about. So I sit on the committee of women in PR and we do a very similar thing. Um, so we kind of at both ends, we're, we're encouraging women at the beginning of their careers, but we've also just launched a new campaign, 45 over 45, because there's a huge amount of ageism in PR. You know, so once you get over 30, you can't really work in it, which you obviously can, um, because I'm still here. Um, <laughs> but don't don't be fooled. It's just going to be a bit of fluff. It, it's, it's not. Hmm. And my final question, Natalie, mm. what does it know about the world of PR today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? You don't have to work for difficult people. Mm. I'm very lucky at Fox. We we have a great team. We have great clients. Um, but I know that earlier in my career, I worked in some particularly toxic places. But you couldn't career jump. You couldn't say no. You couldn't leave the office on time. Um, what what do I know now? Well, you don't have to do any of those things. Um, and I think what what I've learned through through my career, through through having a child who was very poorly, um, all the different things that I've done is actually you you can say no and you can put those boundaries in place. It doesn't make you difficult. It doesn't make you unreasonable. Um, and I think that is that is something that people struggle with and they think that's just how it is. I don't believe that. And, and also I wouldn't want people to work for me or with me that felt that's how they had to be. So, yeah. As they used to say in Grange Hill, just just say no. Love it. And a great place to end. Natalie, thank you so much for doing this. No, thank you so much, Nathan. It's been a pleasure. We have been speaking with Natalie Trice. She is currently the senior head of PR at Fox Agency. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 150 such conversations we've had now with world-class leaders in sales, marketing, PR, agency growth. Just, just go down the list. Thank you for your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com. We would be unable to do this show without our very own Dealmasters. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Braszczek is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters. Masters.